Hello, everybody, and welcome to another DMV Comic Book Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Freddie, and I'm joined once again by my friend, Kennedy. Hi there. Hi, Kennedy. How are you today? I'm really good. I had a great day because I got to wake up and watch an episode of Riverdale. Likewise. Wonderful. Yes. Today we're reviewing Riverdale Season 7, Episode 2, Chapter 119, Skip, Hop, and Thump. (laughs) And before we dig into it, I just want to ask you if you have any thoughts uh, leading up to this episode that you wanted to share. Well, I knew that we had to have at least a little bit of a normal-ish 50s Riverdale episode coming up since the last episode ended with Jughead's memory getting wiped. And so now all of the characters were going to have no memory of of the real Riverdale present. They were all going to be authentically 50s Riverdale characters. Um, I wasn't really sure what that was going to entail. Um, and I also wasn't sure if we were going to get to see any of the underlying weirdness that we, the viewers, know is there. You know, if, if Tabitha was going to pop back up or if any other, like, dimension or, or time travel sort of uh, quirks were going to occur. But uh, I don't know. I was, I was excited to, to see the characters be their innocent selves in a, in a weird world. Okay, cool. Yeah, like, um, I would say we got that. Um what did you think? Uh, what was your first impression now that you've seen it? Oh, yeah. No, it, we, we got exactly that. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, at some point, I was like, where is the Riverdale? I know. This is too <laughs> normal. I thought the same thing. I'm like, this is, um, like, I, I was enjoying it, but I was like, this is a little more tame than, like, the average Riverdale episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> But uh, of course, we do get um, a classic Riverdale cliffhanger, um, which we'll get to uh, at some point. But um, before we even dig into any of that, I just want to share a few dangling thoughts I had from last episode. Um, First, I would say, the more I thought about that twist and that reveal that Tabitha gave us, that actually she's the one who sent them back in time and the comet hit anyway. I'm like, wow, they really like just, they're just saying that all Cheryl's Phoenix powers meant nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Like she was over there resurrecting people and flying and whatever else she was doing, fighting a comet. And I'm like, we, we thought that like, like that, like that was amazing. Like that was everything in the season six finale. Right. And oh, then, yeah, no. And now it's just like Cheryl's back to being in charge of the school dance as usual. Right. Like they nerfed her. Like her powers <laughs> are like, she was like all powerful for one minute, but then the comet came. It was more. And now in the, in the 50s, she's just like a normal high school girl. <laughs> normal with that little Cheryl uh, flair, but no, oh, definitely nerfed. Yeah. So that was an interesting choice. <laughs> I definitely didn't see that coming. Uh, I had a couple other thoughts from last time. I think I might mix some of these into our chat going forward. All right, so let's get into 
this episode, the writer for this episode was Ariana Jackson, and the director was Ronald Paul Richard. Now, I have to say, um, last week, I didn't do my due diligence. I should have looked up Ronald Paul Richard, so I did this week. And he's actually been on the show a long time. He's been a director and cinematographer since season three. So he's got a long history with this show, and he's still doing a great job. And Ariana Jackson has a lot of producer credits on Riverdale uh, and a couple of writing credits um, from previous seasons as well. So um, I do want to take a minute to shout out the artwork. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, you can see um, a unique art for this particular episode you're listening to. Um it's the same art that Roberto Aguirre Sacasa shared on his Instagram. You can with for every episode and every script, the cover has a picture from Archie's comics. Um, last week we had this really cool picture by Mike Allred, which is really cool for people who have been listening to this podcast because we've reviewed some comic books by Mike Allred. But this week we have a picture. It's really. I love this picture. It's um, Veronica and Betty dancing around, and it's like a really old 50s artwork. And Veronica is dressed like Archie used to dress back then with a black vest with an R on it and like some blue pants. And have you seen this picture, Kendi? I have not, but that sounds super cute. Yeah, like it's it's so cute. And like it's so, I have no idea the context of this picture or what comic book it's from. But yeah, I recommend for people who are listening on Spotify to look at this artwork or uh, just look at Roberto's Instagram page and you'll find it. All right. So that said, let's dive in. So this episode is all about Riverdale High's Sock Hop. And that said, I feel like this is an episode for the shippers. What do you think? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, not not to give anyone too much of a peek behind the curtain, but the way that you've organized the document is definitely reflects that. Um, yeah, but... <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking that for this episode, it might be easiest to just kind of talk about the characters and the groupings of characters rather than going uh, sequentially through what happened. Yeah, and that makes sense because it is a very, like, segmented, which, which you know, is how they normally do things, is to segment it off into, like, this person's subplot, that person's subplot. But it is kind of funny that Riverdale has two modes, which are basically either, like, crime and supernatural stuff and trying to solve all those mysteries or, like, so-and-so has a crush on, on, on so-and-so. And, right. Like, if you, you know. break it down, it's pretty much just all high genre stuff or shipping <laughs> yeah <laughs> one or the other so that said i will let you choose what who would you like to discuss first mm, let's start with archie and veronica and betty okay cool all right so i'm gonna give a quick little uh description of some of the stuff that that went down here so as soon as the sock hop is announced archie asks veronica but she has a question before she can accept his offer. She's like, can you cut a rug? <laughs> of course, Archie lies and says yes. But quickly, he knows he needs to prove it. So he asks Betty to uh, give him some dance lessons. And we see them 
having a quick little lesson in her room at her house. And Archie has this funny line. You remember when I broke Midge's toe doing the bunny hop? (laughs) Apparently that bad of a dancer. Poor Midge. (laughs) Nothing good happens to her in this show. Nothing good. (laughs) And then, um, so Betty, she tries to teach him how to do the twist. but He's all arms and no hips. (laughs) And then she tries to teach him how to slow dance. Uh, There's a nice song called Be Mine playing. And then, of course, Alice interrupts because she's not allowed to have boys in her room. Alice's favorite thing to do in the show is to ruin Betty's fun. Of course, yes. (laughs) She's so over the top. What's going on in here? She had this huge gasp. She's like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, Any other thoughts about these opening scenes here? It did crack me up when Veronica said cut a rug, but mm-hmm. I was also kind of like, I can't believe you're testing out his dancing abilities, which of course it would only get worse mm-hmm. vis-a-vis the uh, testing out potential uh, dates to the sock hop. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was hilarious. One thing I do want to point out is that Betty has this big poster of James Dean in her room. Uh, which I probably should have pointed out last week when they were actually talking about James Dean. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's kind of interesting because I did a little research and apparently that wouldn't have been very accurate to have like a a large poster of him at that time. Like she might have had some magazine pictures she could cut out and put on her wall, but apparently they weren't making posters like that. That's very interesting. But um, I'm sure that wasn't, it's not meant to be super accurate. It's just kind of like, you know, it's just a a detail. Or it's a clue. The poster will help us figure out what happened with the comet. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, the next day, Archie tells Veronica he's ready to demonstrate his dancing skills. But Veronica has another question. Can he make scintillating conversation? So she invites Archiekins to the Pembroke at 6 p.m. Any thoughts about that? Well, I love that she used the word scintillating. Um, (laughs) I was, like I said before, quite taken aback at this point. Like, oh, she's really test driving these boys. Mm -hmm. Like, at this point, we only see her uh, asking questions of Archie. Very soon we'll see that she has several boys that she's uh, auditioning. And we'll get into that in a moment. But um, I liked that she called him Archikins for the first time in the 50s here. Because um, that's kind of a signature for Veronica in this show. She calls him Archikins and then Betty calls him Arch. And yeah, and that's sort of, a, that, that like tracks for me for their personalities. I'm like, really, who could get away with calling him Archikins except Veronica? Yeah, for this show, it makes so much sense. But like, I feel like when I used to read the comic books, I feel that they both called him Archie Kins alternately. I don't I'm not entirely sure, but uh, that would be interesting for any of our listeners. If you uh, know the answer to that, uh, let us know. So Betty overhears this and she asks Veronica for advice about boys and confidence. 
Veronica tells her to invite another boy to the sock hop to make Kevin jealous. We'll talk a little bit about Kevin later, but right now we're just talking about Archie, Betty, and Veronica. Um, what do you think of this scene with Betty and Veronica? It's cute. I'm excited to see their friendship develop more. So far, it feels like they haven't had a ton of like scenes together yet, and and I really like their friendship um in in like quote unquote normal contemporaneous uh Riverdale um also very Veronica advice to be like oh it's fine just get another guy to go with you Betty's like how am I supposed to find another guy (laughs) (laughs) and like the first guy I was thinking of was she's probably thinking about Archie which she knows is going for Veronica but like anyway (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well veronica knows that girls girl girlfriends are more important than uh, boyfriends well interestingly they made that promise to each other back in the pilot like let's promise never to fight over a boy whereas here i don't know if they've made that promise <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll see what happens and um already we're, we're getting this classic love triangle that's very um true to the comic books you've got Archie, Betty, and Veronica, and there's a lot of back and forth here. So, um, in the next scene with Archie, his suit jacket is too small. (laughs) So Mary gives him one that used to belong to his dad. She tells him that he also used to write poems for her. So Archie writes a poem for Veronica, but interestingly, he shows it to Betty first, hoping to avoid embarrassment. But Betty thinks it's really sweet. What did you think of this scene? Yeah, I think that, uh, well, they are definitely retreading some of the the pilot and first couple of episodes ground where it's like the reason that Betty falls in love with Archie is because they're such good friends. She's the girl next door, whereas Veronica's like the the sort sort of a more distant um, yeah, interest, love interest, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know. I, I almost kind of wish they, they, they'd done something a little bit different with this, but the poetry is new. And, uh, you know, I was excited later on, not to spoil anything, but later on in the episode, we do actually get to hear the poem or a snippet of the poem. And I thought that was really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love Mary's character so far in 1950s Riverdale. She's just like, she's such a mom in such a like wholesome, but also like <laughs> very funny way. Yeah, like, I'm so thankful to Molly Ringwald for coming back to the show, like, especially with the absence, with the passing of Luke Perry. It's like, we we all loved Luke Perry as Archie's dad, as Fred. And um, now that he's gone, it's like, it does leave a hole. And, and it's so good to have Molly Ringwald playing Mary because um, you really do feel a relationship between her and Archie. I do have to say about this scene, though, this is the one where I was really questioning Archie's common sense, because, like, it's one thing if if he's getting dance lessons from Betty, like, okay, I'll accept that. But now he's, like, reading his poetry for Betty. (laughs) Like, boy, don't you realize that this is this is what's going to give Betty some stirrings? Like, like, like. I know she's the girl next door, and I know that's the whole point that like he doesn't realize the impacts of his actions, but like <laughs> he really, really, really doesn't realize. I mean, he's he's very unobservant. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Just read your poetry to Veronica. <laughs> We've been through this so many times. Whether it's a song that he wrote for Veronica, 
or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, at least we don't have his singing anymore. I know you like his singing. I know you like his, his little songs, but uh, I'm I'm good without them. That's all right. I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, in the next scene, Betty is uh, washing dishes with her mom, and she asks her for advice about her changing feelings for Archie. But Alice redirects her thoughts back to Kevin, who's who, who Betty's going steady with right now. So, yeah. So I mean, I thought this was. I mean, I just I love all the little fifties, all the all the details. I love that they're washing dishes at the sink. They filled up the sinks and they're washing dishes the old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. Um, I love their little outfits here with like the the kind of like high-waisted long skirts um and also alice continues to be a bit conniving which you know good for her it's not we've not really reached um the heights of alice craziness at all but she's definitely still uh, a bit if if subtler a, still still a bit of a bad mom one could argue i think um and you know also weirdly invested in her and her daughter dating Kevin instead of Archie which I wonder if we'll get to see any explanation of that or if it's just stasis Mm -hmm. yeah like my my uh, interpretation of it for this episode was that um, I think she has an inkling that Kevin will keep her chaste (laughs) whereas other boys like like she's already hearing Betty talk about her stirrings (laughs) she's like oh no (laughs) stop to that (laughs) but um who knows we'll see if they dig more into that over the season but um in the next scene archie arrives at the pembroke and he finds that veronica has invited at least four other boys including julian to her get together um now this was interesting uh I we don't really know the other boys, but I did notice that one of them was black, which I feel like is uh, very uh, progressive for these times. Like you have, uh, <laughs> yeah, very mixed company at this get together, uh, which is very inappropriate because we know that Veronica lives by herself with no parental guidance or you know no no guardians at her house. Yeah, I kind of wonder what the, like, doorman was thinking. He's like, okay, there's a teenage girl who lives alone here, and there's, like, a bunch of guys coming to hang out with her. And this is the opposite of what her mother told her last episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Said, no She's like, I'm boy. listening to your rules, Mom. <laughs> it was so funny because she keeps going back and forth. Like, she keeps trying to pretend like she's going to swear off boys, and then the next scene, she's doing something boy crazy. <laughs> she loves them boys. She especially loves making them like, like work for her. Yes. Like, try like, to get her attention. Like in this episode, I'm like, did Veronica invent the Bachelorette franchise? <laughs> she has all oh, these the guys. Bachelorette. Yeah. <laughs> she has all these guys like trying to win her affection. So, um, at in this scene. Julian begins to insult Archie to the point that Archie has to leave in anger. Um, like Julian is insulting first Archie's suit 
And Archie says it's his dad's suit. And he's like, I thought your dad was buried in his suit. And he's like, my dad was buried in his uniform. And so, like, this escalated very quickly. Yeah. Where Julian was trash talking Archie's dad. And what did you think of this scene? Well, I think I said last episode um, that Julian didn't really have much of a personality yet. Um, This episode, I realized, oh, his personality is just going to be mean um, and and sort of evil because making fun of a a dead veteran uh, (laughs) with a with a wife and son is is very uh, it's pretty it's a pretty low blow. Yeah. Yeah. you know, and obviously as a Blossom, he's very stereotypically rich. He says he goes on, like, art-buying tours across Europe, which was funny. Um, yeah, quite quite, quite an interesting scene, but I was happy to see Archie stand up for himself and, and just storm out of there. Yeah, like, this was the biggest glimpse we got of contemporary Archie, uh, who we know has sometimes been described as violent. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, a little bit. But- but also principled, like also like, um, like the little, the innocent Archie that we've gotten so far kind of faded away in this moment, I think, because he was kind of standing up more like a man, I think. Um, and I appreciate that he didn't fight Julian. He, he walked away. Like that's the real man thing to do rather than to start a fight. Uh, yeah, we're proud of you, Archie, for not um, putting on a, 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 a mask and then going around shirtless with baseball bats. <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't need that anymore. <laughs> um, I do have to say about Julian that so far, him and Cheryl seem way more comic book accurate, although in the comic books, it was Jason. Um, but when they were first introduced, like Cheryl was not a lesbian, um, Julian, not Julian, but Jason was not nice. Like, <laughs> uh, like they were both kind of, uh, you know, wild cards or like, and they were rich and they just added a lot of, uh, excitement to whatever was going on in Riverdale. So I, th- I think that's kind of what they're going for here. Just kind of like a more classic take on Cheryl and her twin brother, whichever twin it may be. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll be very interested if they try to like work their way back around to all the creepy doll stuff and, and, and brother eating in the womb stuff that they had with Julian before. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'm happy to see another creepy doll. <laughs> All right, so um, so then Archie throws away his poem in the trash, and he goes home. And the next morning, Veronica visits Archie's home, but, but she finds Mary at the door. She says, Mary tells Veronica that Archie's at the store. And that might be a lie, because it's super early in the morning. But... Basically, Mary is just telling Veronica off. She's like, you better not hurt my baby boy's feelings. <laughs> and then she goes ahead and calls her Little Miss Femme Fatale. <laughs> I love that nickname for her because we do know that Veronica is a Femme Fatale. Like, she will, she literally had death powers. Like, she could kill her boo, her, like, whatever bow she had, she could kill them with her poison powers last season. Yeah, and we're very proud of her, obviously. 
<laughs> yes, yes. So, but but Veronica in this moment is not too proud of herself. Like she she does apologize to Mary, and she wants to apologize to Archie. But when she finally finds Archie at school, before she can apologize, he cuts her off, and he apologizes about the night before, and he asks her to the sop hop again. But Veronica this time says that she is going alone. And she likens herself to a queen bee. She says, the queen of the hive gets all her worker bees a buzz and then flies away before anyone gets stung too badly. <laughs> She's queen bee. Yes, she is. And uh, I thought that was a cool metaphor. I think Cheryl would have some issues with that. <laughs> yeah. Although, I don't think bees sting other bees, though. Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> but, you know, Veronica's tr- just transferred schools. She doesn't know a lot about, like, animal biology. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, later, Veronica and Betty tell each other everything in the girls' locker room. Veronica ends up telling Betty that Archie is now available and that whatever girl ends up going with him is a really lucky one. So, Betty is energized in this moment. And after the commercial break, she intently approaches Archie in the school hallway. And there's there was this interesting music cue here. I was like, this is a little anachronistic, but it is it is selling the intensity of this moment. But then there's this hilarious record scratch when she's interrupted by Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) They're going really old school uh, TV show here. Yeah. So, <laughs> I bet you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> so we'll catch up with what Kevin had to say later. But um, back at Veronica's house, Smithers, we see Smithers finally. So Yes, he's back. <laughs> he's back. He, he found Archie's poem in the trash. I'm like, why are you going through her trash like that? Like, is that- <laughs> But he he found the poem. He gives it to Veronica, and she reads it. Um, and later at the sock hop, Veronica tells Archie that she found it, and she asks to start over with him, and she asks him to dance, but he declines, and he goes instead to dance with his mom. And so Julian steps in, and she and Veronica agrees to dance with Julian. So what did you think of uh, how this wrapped up? Well, I think Veronica better be careful Ron Julian because uh, he's objectively not a nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's adorable that Archie danced with his mom. I loved the entire Saw Cop, which we'll be talking about a couple of times. But uh, I, I thought that it looked fantastic. I loved their dancing. I loved the outfits. I, I loved that, that Fangs was up there singing, which again, we'll get to later. But um. Again, it was very back and forth, like, Archie, Archie wants to apologize, but Veronica wants to apologize, but Archie wants to go to the dance with her, but now he doesn't, like, you know, classic, classic uh, shipping-oriented episode shenanigans, I think. No surprise there. Yeah. And obviously they're making us wait for for any real Varchie, if it happens, but I think that's probably what they're going to do. It's all very... um very high school um shenanigans (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's pretty much all i have to say that was a pretty straightforward plot line as far as they go yeah so 
it's nice to get that one out of the way first. Um, wh- where would you like to go next? Yeah, do you want to do Kevin, Betty, and Clay, since we've already been talking about Betty a bit? Okay, yeah. So so let's look a little bit at Kevin's perspective here. So even though he's going steady with Betty, we do see Kevin stealing a quick look at Clay Walker while they're in class. Um, and then Cheryl announces that Kevin and the crooners will be performing at the sock hop. So Betty cheers him on. So first I have to ask you, do we have a ship name for Kevin and Betty? Like, should we call them Ketty or maybe Bevan? What do you think? I don't know. Those are both pretty cute. <laughs> um, those are actually better than like, I feel like, um, I feel like Bughead is pretty rough. Bughead <laughs> is like funny rough as a ship name. Um, I've got some rough ones coming up for you later. <laughs> we'll get into it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Shoney, or I think you're supposed to pronounce it Shoney because mm-hmm. it's Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's pretty that's pretty difficult as well. That's not an appealing ship name whatsoever. Um, I think so- I'm gonna go with Bevan because it reminds me of Beavis and Butthead, and I, <laughs> I feel like I don't like this ship, so they get the Beavis name. Bevan. Oh yeah, no, I don't think we're supposed to. I don't think we're supposed to be cheering for this ship to survive. I don't. I don't think they're end game to use Riverdale's own logic. Right. Okay, so um, Bevan is at Lovers Lane, and Betty tries to kiss Kevin, but he refuses. He's like, "Oh, um, I don't want to catch a cold. Sorry." <laughs> but it's always something with you, and they get into a big fight. I um, wonder why. Yeah. (laughs) So later, Kevin is back at school and he finds Clay Walker playing piano in the music room and they get to know each other a little bit. So we we get formally introduced to Clay Walker. Um, He says that his dad is, and he corrects himself and he says was in the military. So I guess we're to assume that just like, like Archie's dad, uh, passed away like overseas mm-hmm. and then about this scene there is a lot of like attraction here you can see on Kevin's face like he is like stunned with how cute Clay Walker is and he is cute I mean but I just have to say and this might be a little controversial but we saw a little bit of Clay Walker in the previous episode Yes. Like, you just went to Mississippi and saw the trial of the people who murdered Emmett Till for whistling at a white woman. So here you are, Clay Walker. Are you seriously going to uh, make advances on this white boy? Like, I feel (laughs) like like this is even more taboo at the time. Like, you know what could happen? Like, this is, like, you should be more careful. I do feel like Riverdale kind of wants to have it both ways. You know, they want to be socially responsible, but then once they get their social responsibilities done, they also want to kind of do like that, not totally idealistic 1950s, but pretty, I mean, these characters are are pretty damn progressive for the 1950s. Of course, excluding uh, Principal Featherhead and Mm -hmm. his weird psychologist friend who's always hanging out with him. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, but you know, it, it is, it, it is cute. You know, they were doing the, the sort of like the close-ups on the face and you knew that they were attracted to each other and clay comes onto him pretty strong. So I, it is, it is definitely not accurate for the time, but I want, I want Kevin to be happy and he's always getting boyfriends and then they, I don't know, like get murdered or whatever. So <laughs> I mean, I do wonder if we'll see Moose return for this season or not. Oh, yeah. I will say that Clay Walker in is has one comic book appearance to my knowledge. And in that one comic book, it's a future comic book where he marries Kevin. So huh. um I mean, that makes more sense because it's the future where things are more, you know, accepted. Now, I'm not trying to tell anybody to hide in the closet, but I am saying that it is the 1950s, and I am concerned for Clay Walker's life. Maybe maybe this show isn't. I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like a serious whiplash from last week's episode where, like, they went all in discussing the real history, and and they kind of eased my concerns about them, you know, taking it lightly. And then now this episode is like, they're taking it lightly again. Oh, you know, forget what really happened in the 50s. You know, we can, it's not that serious. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely also, I I would say like the fact that they are, are, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with all that. I'm just, I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase it. And it's hard to do that balance because at, at, yeah. at the same time that you want to keep it true to the characters as they are and in, in the previous seasons of Riverdale and you also want to be realistic about their struggles, but you don't want to like put them through like so much suffering that it's like just painful to watch. But then at the same time, like, I don't know, they showed the whole Cheryl like conversion therapy plot line and with the evil nuns which <laughs> the evil mm-hmm. nun aspect kind of uh took the oomph out of it because you were like oh yeah no this is still Riverdale but still some pretty some pretty heavy stuff and so part of me watching that I was like gosh I hope nothing really like horrible happens I don't know yeah like I just feel whiplash because I I was praising Riverdale last week for how they were making an effort to um, utilize their black characters. But then this week I'm like, okay, so we can see that they've written Tabitha out of the show. Um, Just like they wrote Josie out the show way back when they've written out Mr. Weatherby. Like, like how many black characters have we lost at this point? (laughs) Like, Like we do have this new one here, but like his plot doesn't make any sense. Like to me as a black person, I'm like, I'm like, this is the wrong time <laughs> to uh, explore those desires. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, I'm, I'd be fine with it if it wasn't 1950s. <laughs> I don't even know what to say here. Like, I might, I might have to edit some of this out. But I was, <laughs> um, it just, yeah, I take it seriously as a black queer person. Um, I know the struggle of like having to face you know injustice uh and like i feel like when they don't even acknowledge that reality it just doesn't ring true to me and it doesn't and it's not entertaining for me like i would be happy if they if they had 
if they were back in the future and they introduced Clay Walker as a love interest. But for now, it's just like, how are they going to do this in a way that makes sense? It'll definitely be interesting to see how it plays out and, uh, you know, how they try to keep that balance of, of realism while also not getting, not becoming an, a completely different TV show. I will be interested to see how they do that. More likely than not, there'll be some bumps. I mean, it is Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Well, let's keep discussing the plot. Um, in this scene, actually, Kevin asked Clay if he had He asked Clay before he even asked Betty, although it wasn't like a direct ask. It was more like a curious curiosity question. I know, but still, Kevin, come on. Mm -hmm. And so Clay asked if he had any recommendations, but Kevin told him that a lot of people go stag. So that's what Clay ends up doing. But later at the Cooper residence, Alice convinces Kevin to pin Betty with the same pin that Hal gave her many years ago. So after Alice heaps on the pressure, Kevin does it. He That's when he interrupted her from when she was about to ask Archie out. So Kevin takes her to the music room. He tells her how much he appreciates her. He calls her the most ginchiest girl. <laughs> He says he loves her, and he asks her to the sock cop, and he offers her the pin, which she accepts. So they attend the sock cop together. What do you think of this? Kind of interesting to have this sort of delayed gratification of a couple of plot lines. Like, like interesting to keep trying to push them together. Um, although, obviously, I think I think we've been shown at this point that Kevin has no real interest in in being in a romantic relationship with Betty. Uh, Ginchiest is is not a, a an adjective I'd ever heard before, but I was I was delighted. I assume it's some sort of nineteen fifties uh, slang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard it before, but like it was, I was definitely uh, caught off guard when he said it, and I thought it was kind of a cute turn of phrase to include here. I thought it was funny, like she was a Grinch. I was like Grinchiest. <laughs> no, her not- heart is three times too, or three sizes too small, or whatever. But I was also wondering, watching this scene, like, is Hal still like evil in this? In this, that's, that's a big open question. Like, are they trying to tell us that this is a more innocent world where he's just the dad and he's not a serial killer, or is he secretly a serial killer? Well, I guess that remains to be seen. <laughs> I'm very excited personally to find out, but uh, that that pin might be cursed. Is all I'm is all I'm saying. Well, all I can say is Midge better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very worried for Midge. I, I I have a theory. And this is probably a huge digression, but and this is probably a little uncomfortable to talk about. But I feel like I feel like the reason how probably killed Midge back in season two. I feel like he had inappropriate affair with Midge. Like, uh, Ooh, like, huh? I don't know. I I could I could see that. Although I think Riverdale will just tell us. But also, it is fun to like sort of imagine the lines where they haven't planted them. Yeah, like I mean, because I just feel like that whole the whole murder was like there was no clear motive or reason. Like, mm-hmm. not that crazy serial killer needs a logical motive but i just feel like if 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 he was trying to cover up the fact that he essentially raped a teenage girl 
because we know that Hal was a sinner, even though he was killing sinners, you know, like, and we know he had affairs because he used to visit um, Penelope's um, whorehouse. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just feel like that would make more sense because we, we, we've also seen, you know, adults having, you know, it, like st- statutory relationships with children on this show. So it's like, and he, and he also killed Miss Grundy didn't mm-hmm. so like, projection yes so i feel like that would have made sense you know but i don't write the show so don't. I, i'm buying into it i you you got me <laughs> all right well um we'll find out if they, they give us more details about how but for now um also i do want to say that genchi i think genchi just means like fashionable and mm-hmm. i wonder if if that's if you if having Kevin say that is kind of like something a gay man would say, like you're the <laughs> all the gay men in the fifties were going, oh, you look so ginchy today. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like like there was gay slang. Like, are you a friend of Dorothy? You know, stuff like that. Like there was gay slang back then. Oh yeah, they should totally do some period accurate uh, gay slang. That would be awesome. They could get like all the <laughs> all the kids on Tumblr to start talking like nineteen fifties. Gay guys. <laughs> Good luck, Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, then at the sock hop, Kevin talks to Clay again. And Clay says that he thinks Fangs is easy on the eyes. But he also says that Kevin is easy on the eyes, too. And <laughs> he was hoping to see Kevin perform. He even asked Kevin for a private concert. But Kevin excuses himself from the conversation and returns back to Betty. Quite forward, this Clay. Very forward. uh, As you you noted before, also wondering what a private concert would entail. Sounds a bit euphemistic. Right? (laughs) But like, and then then it makes you think back to their previous scene. Like, was he just waiting for Kevin in the the, um, music room? Like, I don't know, but I just feel I just feel this huge disconnect from like if I witnessed the murder trial of Emmett Till, I would be a lot more careful with my uh, advances towards people, specifically white people, or specifically uh, men. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm I I agree with that take totally, um, and. I don't know. I feel like they just didn't know how else to do it. So they were like, I guess we'll just do our normal Riverdale thing and the characters will be really up front and but not at all subtle. Because we'll talk about Shoni in a minute, but it's the same thing with Shoni. Like Shoni in in this world, um, Tony is the more um, the one making more advances towards Cheryl. And and it got me to thinking, like, maybe that's the problem with Riverdale, where, like, it's, it really does seem like all the Black characters have to be the ones who are, like, um, you know, like, uh, helpers to, like, help people uh, actualize themselves. Like, um, it's kind of a trope. It's a bad trope. It's an old trope, because it goes back to more negative stereotypical depiction of black people in media and um 
and I got to thinking about Tabitha, how like they literally had to turn Tabitha into a time traveling angel to make mm-hmm. her like valuable to the show. Like, like she's above and beyond what any normal person has to do to be valuable to the show. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, no, definitely. It, it's really not fair that that black people have to work so hard to like have a place, and um, like, I just want Tabitha to be able to have a normal life and be on the show and not be written out because of some. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> this is why I was so excited to see like nerdy like 1950s Tabitha with her cute little glasses, and I right. was like, At least give her, give us some scenes of her, like. I want to I want to find out like what her whole deal is. I want to know what she likes to do like in her free time cuz I feel like all we knew about her in the previous seasons was like okay, she is Pop Tate's granddaughter and she now is in charge of Pops and obviously she is dating Jughead. But besides that, like I I I don't know. I feel like there's so much more like potential for exploration and I feel like just through like like the the character, I guess like design in terms of 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 costuming and and hair and makeup is she like looked like it looked like they really gave 1950s tabitha like a storyline and a and a and a whole thing going on that was separate from jughead and separate from pops but then then she left i do think we'll see more of tabitha i'm not sure when i mean i hope we see more of her and you know i'm 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 hopeful for you know all the characters but it's just um it's uh it's always um a challenge to um to add diversity to a show where honestly there wasn't much to begin with like the all the classic archie characters that have been around since the 30s and 40s are not the the the, they're the main ones like they're not the black ones like the black ones came later um, and like they, and they were able to kind of like change Veronica's race. They were able to change a couple other characters, but like we have Dilton as well, who we'll talk about in a moment. But I don't know. This episode, as sweet and fun and innocent as it was, it kind of showed a little bit of um, inauthent- inauthenticity, I think, which kind of it's not as fun for me to watch at my age. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. I think that like, it is frustrating to see certain characters get just kind of used as, as plot devices. And I do think I, I feel like Riverdale can lean towards using the black characters as plot devices, which is kind of like, uh, don't really want that. Exactly. And it's also weird because I feel like something that's so, Something that's so cool about a lot of like gay romances in in any kind of media is that you get to play into the homoeroticism and you get to play into the like, is this flirting or is this just friendship? And Riverdale, again, kind of by virtue of not being a very subtle show, is just like, oh, this character is like flirting. It's very obvious, but that's especially strange in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And and I, I kind of wanted it to be more like Tony and Cheryl are going to be friends first or they're going to be kind of like enemies or whatever but they just get more time just kind of like with the tension building up but nothing being explicitly said but 
you know, as we're going to talk about in a second, I feel like it gets pretty obvious pretty quickly. And there's not really a lot of room to kind of play around with that, if that makes sense. Well, that said, do you want to go ahead and just talk about Shoney? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So, so Cheryl is selling tickets to the sock hop and Tony walks up in her serpent's jacket with fangs and um, she asks Cheryl to let fangs perform. Um, and Cheryl is like, no. Kevin and the Crooners are performing. How many times do I have to tell you? Like she, this they have this conversation several times throughout the episode, and and Tony's like, fine, whatever. But then when when um, when Cheryl sees that people are trying to return their tickets, she's asking Dilton like, what's going on? And Dilton tells her that the serpents threatened to throw eggs at the sock hop attendees and um, mainly that mean girl, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) So then Cheryl confronts Tony at the dark room coffee house, which used to be the white worm or Veronica speakeasy. It's been through a lot of changes over the years. And so that's ultimately where Tony convinces Cheryl to dump Kevin and the crooners and pick fangs. But a lot of that happens off screen. Um, so at this point, now Tony is bullying Dilton into buying five tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and then later at the sock hop, Tony convinces Cheryl to dance with her. But Principal Featherhead observes them very disapprovingly. So while Shoney, sorry, while Cheryl is gazing longingly at Tony who happens to be drinking something in a brown paper bag. (laughs) But yeah, uh, when she's over there on the bleachers, Cheryl is is looking at her longingly, but Principal Featherhead is pressuring her to uh, appreciate the chaste harmony of boys and girls dancing together. Chaste harmony was was quite a funny line. I was I know that Cheryl was like looking all upset and everything, but I was like cracking up when he said that. <laughs> also because like, oh my gosh, it's so bad to dance near one of your friends of the same sex. They were just kind of like doing their little like twist twist 1950s dance move near each other. Mhm. Yeah, like it's it's sad but true. Like I'm sure there have been an infinite amount of times since the 1950s where school teachers and principals were like, this is inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) It's not appropriate. Yeah. Usually they're dancing a lot closer, but you know, (laughs) but Oh my goodness. They're holding hands. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was very funny to see Tony drinking out of a brown paper bag, like a grizzled, like uh, is a, a, a gangster for sure like she and the serpents like she is the serpent queen whether she is in this timeline or not she is to me i mean she gives serpent queen vibes and also like i love that they're greasers now like yeah cheryl's like, I, calling them greasers yeah like i thought fangs in particular was rocking the 50s greaser look i was like yes like give me more fangs like i i've this might be another controversial opinion because I feel like most of Riverdale fandom does not like fangs. <laughs> but, 
but I do. <laughs> I like Fangs. I was I was also hyped to see him, and I was also excited to get like this again new side of him where he's like he's performing and he's doing his little like rock and roll thing. He's got the little curl on his head. I thought that was adorable. Yeah. And it also made me really miss Sweet Pea. Oh yeah. I don't think we're gonna see him. <laughs> well, hopefully he's still off with Josie somewhere. <laughs> I don't Having know. fun wherever he is, even yeah. though I miss him so much, and I would love to see him in this season. He's bring probably back. not coming back on the show. Oh, bring back Sweet Pea and Josie. That's what we want to see. Yes, I would love that. And the other Pussycats, too. But they won't. They don't have the nerve. <laughs> Riverdale's scared. They might not have the budget either. But... <laughs> yeah, but more likely. <laughs> Do you want to go ahead and talk about Fangs more and, and, and uh, his new uh, romance? Oh, yeah, let's do it. All right. So this is a pretty short bit, but um, Fangs, and when he, when he's with Tony, he kind of flirts with Midge, who's uh, apparently Cheryl's right-hand woman. That's her uh, fellow vixen. So Cheryl finds them later down at Lover's Lane, and she is over-the-top mad. She, she drags uh, Midge home, and... <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Um, but then later at the dance, Fangs performs Tutti Fruity, and everybody gets down. And then he caresses Midge, and then she swoons. It's very Elvisy, you know. And then um, he also performs Only You during some of the more dramatic scenes at the sock hop. I thought that Fangs' actor was a real was doing a great job of of, of the performance. Um, yeah, you know, they didn't, I, I will say I thought they recorded his singing was a little more his recorded singing was more restrained than his acting for the singing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did think he was he was really selling it. They had like the sweet the 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 sweat on his forehead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Mitch looks super cute. I love her haircut is a different actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she's doing it. She's doing a good job. Again, I, I would love to see some more characterization. But it's Riverdale, so she might die very soon. So, yeah, like I, I'm interested to see if they give these two characters more than just like background scenes. Like, I'm, I'm thankful that Fangs got to perform, even if he didn't get a lot of lines. Um, I thought his performances were pretty good, um, and I would like to see more. Uh, like, they could make a lot of out of him being like having a little rivalry with Kevin and the crooners. <laughs> I think that would be adorable. But um, I have to say that, um, you know, Fangs is a bisexual king. And like, I'm, it's interesting that, you know, here he's, 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 he's the only character. He's the only queer character who, whose um, storyline here he's pursuing someone of the opposite sex and there's no conflict that we see, you know, whereas with Shoni and with, um, Bevan, (laughs) you know, there's a whole lot of conflict. (laughs) Yeah. You bring up a good point. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they also incorporate him finding like that side of his sexuality into the story. If he already has, and we just don't know it. Um, if there's going to be any conflict like that. Um, and, and, you know, I think, that could be an interesting characterization for him. That could be an interesting storyline. It could also be a, a horribly botched one. Uh, 
So I don't I don't even know what I would prefer. All right, so we need to come up with a ship name for Fangs and Midge. I'm gonna give you two options. Do you like All right. Do you like Fidge or do you like Mangs? <laughs> Fidge or Mangs? I I I think Fidge is I like Fidge. What do you think? We can go with Fidge. It reminds me of Fudge. You know, That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well Fidge it is. <laughs> all right so i think that's about there's only one last plot to describe this is the big chunk of the episode this is jughead and ethel oh yeah we saved the best for last right so right off the top of the bat let's 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 figure out if they have a ship name I'm oh like, well hasn't hasn't riverdale established that they're ethelhead ethelhead oh maybe i was going i was gonna go with ethhead that's good (laughs) or juggle yeah juggle's a good one they're both kind of awkward but like (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's this moment in i don't remember what season but there's this moment when betty is like mocking ethel one of betty's real like sort of uh very intense and mean moments where she's like making fun of ethel for having a crush on jughead and she (laughs) says Ethelhead? That'll never happen. And I know that because my friend and I quote that at each other all the time. We always go, Ethelhead? Are you crazy? <laughs> that's funny. I, I, I think I do recall that now that you mentioned it. And maybe we do have to go with that if that's canon. But I'm just amused by how Ethheads sound kind of like Methhead. But, <laughs> but we're probably better off not going with that. Um, so Let's dig into their plot line here because the episode actually starts out with Jughead and he and um, Hot Dog. It's good to see Hot Dog again. I do have to mention that um, last episode when I mentioned Hot Dog, I actually, I do recall that that they did have Hot Dog in the first three seasons. He made a couple cameos, but he was never like Jughead's dog. He seemed to like belong to the serpents as a whole. So, but here he's very much Jughead's dog, which is how it should be. I totally never noticed that. I never noticed that the serpents had like a gang dog. I need to, I need to rewatch like seasons two and three, especially. I think. Yeah, I think there's a scene in season one where when Jughead first meets the serpents, and then Hot Dog is there and he barks at Jughead very angrily. It's very brief, and then in season two, one of Jughead's tasks to be initiated into the serpents is to like watch hot dog or whatever oh right right and then in season three there's one episode where the whole gang has to save hot dog from like a rival school or something or the ghoulies i think have them i don't know i'd have to go back and watch these episodes too but (laughs) hard to keep track yeah he was there and i'm glad he's here now in the way that he should be so um So Jughead is reading comic books. He says, the popularity and cultural impact of comic books in our time cannot be overstated. I agree, Jughead. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you would like this. I was like, he's going to be so excited. Yes, like this is great. Although he does say superheroes were out, horror and crime comics were in, and me and my friends were obsessed. So this is interesting because... um, there have been moments in history, I'm not entirely sure if it was the 50s or not, but like there have been times where superhero comics weren't as popular 
and horror comics or genre comics were more popular romance comics um western comics um military comics like there always been like a variety of things and like i'm not surprised that riverdale is singling out the horror and crime comics because that's their bread and butter like roberto aguirre sacasa i feel like he's the one who brought horror to the archie line because i don't recall it being there before he came around <laughs> no definitely and but I he think... dug in deep yeah but... to anyone else they would have seemed like strange bedfellows uh horror and uh <laughs> the archie comics mm-hmm. but uh he went for it yep and um so here we see that Jughead is reading a comic book and he sees that they're telling a story that is just like one that he tried to send them. So he accuses Pep Comics of stealing his story. Again, we have the, the original brand name of comics that Archie Comics comes from. And so Jughead goes to his friend's uh, in the student lounge, we see Ethel, Dilton, and Ben Button. It's like a new core four, almost. <laughs> I know. I liked that uh, Jughead had different friends than, than, you know, he wasn't friends with Veronica, Betty, and Archie. And, and you know, obviously him and Archie are friends, but it felt realistic that his actual friend group would be like a bunch of nerds. No yeah. offense, Ethel, Dilton, and Ben. No, I loved it. Like, I love the table of nerds with all their comics on the table. Like, I'm like, this is this is the life. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do want to shout out the return of Ben Button from season three. Um, so they got the same actor to portray him. But for Dilton, this is pretty interesting. So the actor playing Dilton, um, Daniel Yang, he actually played Dilton in the first episode but then after that they changed it to Major Curta who was Dilton for every other episode and then now they have Daniel Yang back I assume Major Curta is busy like I looked it up he's he's been on Broadway a lot lately um he's currently going to be in a um Asian American version of Romeo and Juliet oh cool and just previously he was in a k-pop musical wow well, he's busy, I guess. Good for him. Yeah. But this new, or or this previous Dilton, is good. To, I, I, it's fun that they are able to bring back previous actors like this. Like, um, the same way they did with Reggie during the Jughead Paradox. You know? Like, uh, instead of just recasting him all together. Yes, I think that's very cute. And, like, I do like, I, this guy really does have a Dilton look, like, with the glasses and kind of nerdy. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm down for it. And he had some funny scenes with, uh, especially with Cheryl and Tony. But, or even here with Jughead, they're, like, trying to say, can you prove that your stories were stolen? And Jughead is not too eager to prove. He's just really eager to go go yell at Pep Comics. He says, like like uh, Ben says, why don't you just give him a call? And, and Jughead says, oh, shucks to that. <laughs> <laughs> Cole Sprouse is acting his heart out here. <laughs> it was fun seeing him be all 50s persona and no no more old Jughead, I thought. But what did you think? Oh, yeah, no, it was great. I love how, how, how seriously he's acting all these over-the-top 50s lines. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I also love the homage to uh, well, you know, obviously Riverdale has 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 done homages to to the importance of like comic books as form before. Yeah. Um, but especially, you know, fitting now, considering how big they were back in the 50s. And I think it's easy for us to forget, especially because comic books are not nearly as mainstream anymore, although they still have a really like strong cultural presence. But like I worked for a place that published a whole bunch of like scholarly books about comics and I know that there's like a whole academic area of of research into comic books and Mm -hmm. their cultural impact and you know like how they were made and in response to what they were they were made and and I think that's I don't know a lot about comics uh (laughs) which is probably ironic for me being on this podcast but that's okay like uh, that's part of the fun of you being here because like I get to be the the nerd and and you get to kind of give us some fresh perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I'm just like I think I think it's really cool that they are. I mean, it's a bit silly to say, but like you know, telling the audience like, yeah, no, this is like this is this was important back in the day and this was a big way that people got stories and got entertainment and anytime you're getting entertainment out of something or getting a story out of something it's definitely worth interrogating what kind of stories were being propagated you know in what way did the medium change how the stories were told for whom were these things marketed towards so it it is i i would have honestly loved to have seen more about it but i i also just I, I really enjoyed this this kind of side plot line or the I guess, you know, it is one of the main plot points, but um, that he goes to the comic book offices and, and meets these these two characters. Um, it's it's just really fun to me. And I love the sort of gruff 1950s workplace they have going on that still manages to be fun and and cute. Yeah. All right. Well, let's continue on with this storyline. So he goes to the pep. Um, comics office which is right in Riverdale and he meets Al Fieldstone who's the editor-in-chief of Pep Comics and basically after giving Jughead a chance to whine um, Al mentions that he he needs more writers and he gives Jughead a chance to write for him which Jughead accepts so back at Jughead's train car Ethel says it would be her life's goal to draw for Pep Comics, and Jughead offers to recommend her to Mr. Fieldstone. So the next day, um, Jughead asks Mr. Fieldstone if, if uh, he can, like he, he tells him that he knows someone who can provide the art, and Mr. Fieldstone doesn't really care as long as they can turn in by tomorrow. <laughs> It's funny because Mr. Fieldstone says that Jughead's story is pretentious, it's clunky, and it has too much dialogue, but it's good enough. (laughs) Yeah, seems like his standards are pretty low. He's definitely uh, running a business. Yeah, and um, it's notable that he calls out the the flaws in Jughead's story because later uh, when Ethel, when he sees Ethel's art, he has nothing but praise for her. And so it's really that good. Um, but we'll get to that in a second, because first we should mention that um, at Ethel's house, um, you know, he's telling her that, 
she's got the job and then she's so excited and then she asks Jughead to the sock hop. But once again, boys shouldn't be in girls' rooms, especially in the <laughs> 50s. So Ethel's mom catches them alone in her room and she gets really mad. Um, what did you think of this scene, especially in comparison to the one with Alice and Betty and Archie? This one definitely had something of a darker vibe, which I think we understand why later. Like, it was mm-hmm. definitely much more, like, it was kind of the same, but it was also kind of different. Jughead mm-hmm. runs out like Archie did, but then, like, we kind of linger on Ethel alone in her room, and I was like, oh, that's not good. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're they're setting something up here. Um, and, like, literally, uh, the, the lighting was darker, too. Yes. They were definitely, the, it was, it was, a, it was a distinctly different scene than the one we saw earlier with with Betty, Archie, and Alice. Um, And also, I am intrigued by the fact that Ethel asks Jughead to the sock hop. Obviously, I think her nervousness implies that it's sort of romantic, and then Jughead kind of hits her back with that, like, oh, yeah, no, it'll be, like, funny. Like, you know, like, obviously implying they're gonna go as friends, and Ethel's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um... So I kind of wonder if it's just that Ethel and Jughead are not, I guess we should say Ethhead, <laughs> Ethelhead are not going to be a thing. Or if, uh, you know, maybe in this time travel alternate universe, Jughead is asexual this time. So I don't know. We'll see. Like, I, I did appreciate that, um, you know, he was kind of true to classic Jughead in the sense that, you know, he just wanted to go as friends or, or and like, and he wants to check out the food there. <laughs> oh yeah. That was a good line. And, and it makes me wonder, like, like, I honestly though, he was, he was more kind to Ethel this episode than, than comic book Jughead was a lot because in the comic books, Ethel would pursue Jughead hardcore and he would have none of it. Like he was, very against even like being friendly with her it was i i like this approach better here where they're actually friends and it's cute i'm also glad they're friends i think i think it's a cute dynamic Mm -hmm. all right well um so in the next scene ethel gets a week's detention from principal featherhood for drawing horror in class because obviously she has less than a day to turn in this artwork and she has to, she had no choice but to draw in class. So principal Featherhead and um, Dr. Werther are looking at her horror drawings. Like, what is this? It's like a zombie (laughs) eating someone's like brains. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, I think there's something wrong with her. Like uh, mentally. (laughs) They're like, like what is causing you to, to see these horrible visions? Like, (laughs) And so she gets detention, but then she skips detention to go with Jughead to turn in the story at Pep Comics. And and then um, the principal and the doctor decide to tell her parents. Now, I have to say really, really quickly here, it's becoming clear that uh, Dr. Werther is, a, is probably an analog to... Dr. Wortham, who is a famous um, figure in history, especially in comic book history, because he was 
um, a doctor who railed against comic books and how he thought they were defiling children um, and giving them lower moral standards. And so this led to the creation of the Comics Code Authority, which for years censored what could be printed in mainstream comic books. And all of this happened in the 50s. So it's kind of, I'm sure they're probably going to dig into this more. But um, you definitely see some uh, hints of it here. That's really, really interesting historical context. I, I'd never heard of that guy before. I just kind of, I was honestly wondering why they were choosing to make this psychologist, first of all, why he's always hanging out in the principal's office. I don't right. know why he's there. But uh, <laughs> also why they're kind of choosing to make him something of a villain here. Um, and that's, I think that's a cool choice because like, it is true that like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of um, like reactionaryism has been cloaked before under the guise of either like we got to take care of the children. We can't let anything corrupt them or like a, a, a scientific pseudoscientific um, cloaking. Uh, and so it, it, it will be interesting to see e either one of those or both of them fleshed out. Um, but also interesting, I'd never realized that comic books were censored like that, although it certainly makes sense. Now, um, I might want to do a little more research before I talk more about this, but from what I'm, what I've already looked at, um, Frederick Wortham, like the real life figure, um, he's got a mixed, um, reputation because, um, he had an early reputation as a progressive sci psychiatrist who, who treated poor black patients at his clinic at a time of heightened discrimination. Like that's what Wikipedia says. <laughs> and um, notably, his work was cited in when they overturned Brown versus the Board of Education, which. Oh, wow. Cool. So like, like. I'm I'm really curious as to like who was this man like was he progressive was he conservative was he a bit of both like i hate to say it but he wasn't completely wrong in everything he said like he wrote a book about the seduction of the innocent and he was talking about how how comic books have all these kind of like subtle um uh things that um are a little too adult for children and um and Nowadays, that's more true than ever, honestly. Like, he, he basically said that comic books are turning our kids gay. And, <laughs> and I hate to say it, but he's not wrong. Like, a lot of, it worked. A lot of comic book nerds are gay. So. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds um, like a, a complex figure, but uh, definitely super interesting. Yeah, like, like, if you look at the old Batman and Robin comic books, like, Frederick Wortham was the first one to be like, this is gay. <laughs> And like now we go back and look at it and like it was kind of gay. <laughs> and then like they've turned it away from that since then. And then now 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 I don't know what to say. Like it's this is an interesting conversation. But anyway, <laughs> let's get back on track. Um where were we? <laughs> we we're talking about Ethel getting detention and skipping it. 
So uh, Mr. Fieldstone loves Ethel's putrid pages and hires her on the spot. But before she can even tell her parents the good news, they yell at her for uh, skipping detention and, and for drawing these pictures in class. And, and then she yells back and we get to see just kind of how broken her home is and how, how bad her relationship is with her parents. And she says that she's leaving for the sock hop, but her mom says, over my dead body. <laughs> and then the next time we see Ethel, she's arriving at the sock hop covered in blood. She says something terrible just happened, but that's where the episode ends. We don't know what happened. Hopefully we'll find out next episode. And I mean, this is a really great scene, this ending scene with just like the shot of her face. They made her look you know with some great makeup they've made her look really horrible like, and, and like she's about to pass out like she's, once again i think we're referencing carrie where you know have the the bloody girl at the prom so to speak. oh yeah they 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 love a dance with a with a good crime to yeah include it you know you get a couple songs in and then you have a crime um yeah. that's the riverdale formula mm-hmm. but yeah i mean that was dramatic i i like like we talked about earlier we i was wondering you know when when the old riverdale would show up and that was certainly the the old riverdale at least like a glimpse of it yeah like that's the the classic uh bloody twist that they will so often throw in at the end in the last you know couple seconds (laughs) well should i say my theory about what happened sure well, so I think the obvious explanation is that she killed her parents, but I think that's too obvious. My opinion is that what's going to end up happening is she'll get framed for killing her parents, but she won't have done it. It'll be some sort of evil. It'll be like a, a force or a person. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think in terms of who actually killed her parents, it can either be connected to the time traveling, the comet like this this uh little separate 1950s bubble starting to split apart or it could be an evil that was already kind of present in the bubble right like we still have Hal who's hanging if around if it was Hal again i would be very upset like i did not need <laughs> another retread of the black hood cuz I, I think I've said enough. Like, I hate that plot line. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a new murderer in town. I, Who knows? Dr. Maybe Wertham, some sort of monster. Dr. Werther in this show does seem very evil, I will say. I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if it's like a red herring or if it will actually lead to something. But uh, he seems very shady. Maybe it's Julian. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um. But also, if you remember in season, uh, I think it was season two or three, Ethel's father did die or was in an accident or something. Do you remember any of that? Um, did he kill himself or did he try Maybe. to kill himself? Because there was some, yeah, there's something like that. It was something to do with money. Isn't it horrible? I mean, so much stuff happens in Riverdale. I feel bad I don't remember this, like being the Riverdale person, but also like... I don't know. (laughs) It was a long time ago and so much has happened since. A lot has happened. But I think that um, I think there was a money problem. I think he like lost a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was in connection with like Veronica's family because Ethel was really mad at Veronica and like blamed her for her dad. I think trying to kill himself, but I don't remember exactly. That sounds so dark when I say it. 
I think that is what happened. I think he tried to kill himself, but I think he survived. I think he was in the hospital. I don't think we ever actually saw him. They talked about him a lot. Yeah, like, they didn't bother to hire an actor for him. So at least here we we, we finally see Ethel's parents. But, well, well, for now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am very curious what happened in the time between her fighting with her parents and showing up at the prom. Like, cause like, why would you even? go to the prom if you're covered in blood um to the sock cop you know well to make a dramatic entrance of course i guess <laughs> trying to find jughead like the one person she trusts or maybe she needs help like like where did the crime happen is a good question and who was involved is another good question so we'll see um any other final thoughts about their plot line no, I am just I'm I'm happy to see more of Ethel and I also hope she ends up okay because I think this show has treated her badly before, but I don't know, seeing as we last saw her with blood splatter all over her, not sure she's out of the out, out of the ringer just yet. Yeah, Ethel always gets the short end of the stick, but uh props to Shannon Purser for coming back and reprising her role and she's doing a great job and hopefully uh, we'll see more of her. Um uh, as the season goes on. So um, I do want to take a moment to just point out all the name drops and references in this episode, because there were lots of them. Um, Really quickly, they mentioned Peggy Sue, Troy Donahue, Marilyn Monroe, Walt Whitman, Frank Sinatra, Elvis, Monet, Norman Rockwell, uh, and Hedda Hopper and Chuck Berry. Are I they- know, I can't believe that Veronica's parents just have a random Monet in their, like, extra apartment. <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting. Uh, and I loved how Archie mentioned, well, actually, I'm a bigger fan of Norman Rockwell. Like, that that's, that's both, um, it's both of the time, but also a cool reference to, like, an American painter. And, like, Norman Rockwell is so well known for his, like, uh, quaint artwork or even some of his more challenging artwork but um he was always like depicting something deeply american which is yes a very is yeah because archie was saying like i am not someone who goes uh around europe buying art (laughs) (laughs) but um i do also want to call out one other reference when alice is uh, meeting with Kevin to give him the pin, she offers him coffee and she specifically says High Point. So I looked this up. Apparently, High Point coffee is like a decaffeinated coffee, but, uh, but apparently it didn't come out until 1975. Huh. So I'm like, why did they make such a specific choice to have her offer him High Point coffee? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. That's a weird and very specific mistake to make. Yeah, but Riverdale has done it before. That's so... (laughs) We can probably expect a lot more mistakes in the timeline, but but I do appreciate most of these references that they've put in there. It really does kind of just kind of teach a bit about history and... um, and, and it's so interesting from a perspective of being in the past now, because they used to have a ton of references 
but it was in the present. And now they're more limited in their references, but I'm interested to see like if people catch these references. And a lot of them are still relevant. Like Elvis just had a movie. <laughs> um, uh, Marilyn Monroe just had a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Walt, Walt, Walt Whitman's poetry, it stands the test of time. So like, you know, um, Chuck Berry's music, you know, like Hall of Fame, like can't deny the impact he had on rock and roll in the 50s. Like, I, I think it's a lot of fun to, that they're putting all this stuff in there. Oh, yeah. No, love it. One of my favorite parts of Riverdale. They should definitely keep it up. And speaking of um, history, when I was watching, I saw an ad for a new show on Paramount called Rise of the Pink Ladies. It looks like a prequel to Grease. Did you see that commercial? Huh? No, I I didn't. All of my commercials were like for like cell phone, like 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 (laughs) cell phone providers like Verizon. On the CW app, they do tend to show like the same three commercials over and over. Oh my gosh, but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, Rise of the Pink Ladies. Are you at all a Grease fan? I am not. Although I did notice the Grease reference at the very beginning of the episode. They had Cheryl doing like the little bells. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. I wonder. If I, that, I wonder if that uh, was a typical thing for announcements back then. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I always, I always thought of it as like a grease thing, them playing the little xylophone um, before the, the morning announcements. Um, and well, so, Gre- yeah, I have seen Grease a couple of times, but it's not really my jam, to be honest. Like, I actually was in the, the musical version in high school. Ooh. And, like, and so I have a soft spot for it. And like, um, the movies, um, you know, I love musicals and musical movies. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to watch this new show, but I might get around to it eventually. Um, it does look very Riverdale. Like, there's, <laughs> there's going to be singing. There's going to be 50s pastiche, like, and probably some drama and some craziness. So, <laughs> Well, maybe it'll be fun. Maybe. Like, they seem to have a lot of cross-promotion going on here. Because there was also an ad for a new Disney movie called Prom Pact. Of course, during like the sock hop episode, you know. <laughs> but um, I think now it's time to rate the episode. So I, I want to start this new new segment of the podcast called "Is It a 10? Um, so out of ten, is what would you give this episode? Hmm, I'll give it. I think I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep my 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 standards kind of high, and I'm not gonna do the Yelp thing where you just give it a five star because you want to be nice, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna go ahead and say this was a middle of the road Riverdale episode for me, so I will say like a five or a six. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm gonna give it an eight. Um, because. I did enjoy it despite my, uh, you know, complaints. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, I love uh, everything that they're doing about comic books. And, and I do love all the historical references. And I, and I do love seeing our characters just, you know, having fun. Um, I, even though this was a bit more of a tame episode right up until the end, um, 
you know, that's why I'm knocking off two points. Um, not enough gore. I mean, I'm not really into the gore, so like that's not gonna raise the the the, the ranking for me. But um, I did appreciate that they had a little bit of a you know a little bit of gore towards the end. <laughs> give us a hint, like we're still the same old Riverdale sort of. Yeah, I would say I did like seeing all of the characters like have fun and and you know hang out with each other. I disliked that it was kind of a retread of some a lot of stuff we've seen in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, would have liked more craziness. Totally agree with your complaints as well about you know like Clay is 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 acting somewhat ahistorical as is Tony to an extent, um, and I you know. Veronica was, Veronica was quite, she was, she was some kind of way this episode. She was very, uh, she was pretty mean to Archie and, and I was like, so bummed. I don't know. <laughs> she Now, one thing I do want to mention back about Clay and Tony, like there is precedent for, you know, um, uh, people like for black people, particularly to, um, have more progressive politics, so to speak. Like, uh, in, uh, um, I think that a lot of Black liberation um, theologists and, and theorists have come to conclusions of, like, you know, there's no, no problem with, you know, homosexuality or and such and such. And a lot of people in the civil rights movement were queer, like, in the 60s, in the past. Like, that's that's a fact. But um, I just feel like when you get the same type of role for both um, Tony and Clay, where they're the more openly, uh, like they're still not open, like they're still kind of like careful about their language, but but Tony was definitely kind of openly uh, hinting about, you know. And girls inviting girls to the dance or dancing with <laughs> girls and like and and so was play like I just feel like I just feel like like I said after them going to Mississippi and seeing what they saw it seems a little bit counterintuitive and then on top of that um you know um it just I don't really like the role where, where black people are constantly put into a role of being uh, the teacher or like the the one who who shows someone else the light like you know what I'm saying like it seems like it seems like a tired trope I don't know but I will let that go <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully we'll get some some nice good uh like homoeroticism in the next episode rather than them just kind of being like you know you know people can be gay, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's oh, we're going to get a lot of eroticism, probably both um, hetero and homo. <laughs> oh, true, Because <laughs> the next episode is all about sex. Did you see the promo? I, I need to still watch the promo, but I saw that it was, like, people on Reddit were like, oh, it's going to be like an orgy. I was like, what? <laughs> Veronica described it as a makeout party, but uh, we'll see. Like, the, if you... I'm going to send you the promo and you'll see like it was just sex, sex, sex. Like, like they literally said S E X in capital letters <laughs> and had all the characters just getting, looking crazy horny. Like, <laughs> so, 
Oh, Riverdale never changed. Yes, we will uh, probably have a lot to talk about next week. <laughs> uh, also an interesting choice to do this uh, make-out party after presumably someone has died, or at least one person has died a very horrible, gory death, and Ethel witnessed it. Right. Is it going to be like, are they going to put that plotline off for a moment just to have sex? <laughs> Very Riverdale to be like, oh, I know someone got murdered, but uh, my party's pretty important. So, <laughs> oh gosh, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, time as we uh, get through this season. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, any uh, final thoughts about this this episode before we wrap up? No, I, I think we got everything I wanted to say. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Kennedy. And uh, real quick, I want to plug our yeah, if you are on Twitter, that's probably the best place to reach out to uh, DMV Comic Book Nerds um, right now. Uh, we're also on League of Comic Book Geeks. Um, that's more for comic books than than TV. So, you know, thank you all for listening. I think that's it. Thank you. Good night. Okay. Yeah, no, thank you, too, for all the hard work you do, as always. Uh, thank you. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, rate, subscribe, and review us on your app of choice. If you leave a positive rating, it'll really help us a whole lot. Thanks so much, Riverdalians. We hope you can join us again next time. (laughs) 